Welcome. Here is this past Sunday's sermon from Grant Memorial Church. Good morning, my friends. My name is Sean Sagert. I'm the director of pastoral care here at Grant Memorial Church, as well as local outreach. And I just want to welcome you here this morning to all who are in person, but also those who are watching us online. And a very special welcome to our friends right next door to us at the Waverly Rosewood, who I know tune in every Sunday to be with us. Well, my friends, it's so, I'm so grateful to be here together with you this morning, the ways in which I've had the opportunity and the privilege to not only get to know so many of you, but also minister together with each of you. And this morning, I thought before we would jump into the book of Mark, I'm curious how many of you here today have heard of a scavenger hunt game called Bigger or better. Anyone here today? I see one, oh, I see two, I see three, okay. In case you do not know what bigger or better is, it's a game that has been around for a long time. And in fact, I still remember as a kid playing this game as part of a summer camp that I went to in Calgary where I grew up. The game is pretty straightforward with kids or teens divided into smaller teams and then each team is given a single paperclip. From there, the game turns into a scavenger hunt with each group knocking on doors in the community saying, we're doing a scavenger hunt. Would you be willing to give us anything bigger or better than this paperclip? As you can imagine, there are all sorts of different possibilities that are offered in exchange for this paperclip, with the process then repeating at the next door with now that new item that was traded for the paperclip being asked to be exchanged for something bigger or better than that. My absolute favorite story of bigger or better happened when I was a youth pastor and I sent my middle school group out to play this in the community of bigger and better and one of the groups came back with a motorcycle that I had to figure out what I was going to do with. (laughs) So just in case, my friends, just in case you have any doubt as to what this game is about, let's do a practice run this morning for the full effect. As it turns out, I do have a paperclip with me, and before we play, I just want you to know that I already have a Bible, okay? Because I know that there are many Bibles in the pew pocket in front of you. Also, let's keep this interesting, and nothing, no no legal tender, no money or gift cards or anything like that. I'm really curious as to how far we can get with this single paper clip. And so let me ask you here this morning, is there anyone who is willing to give me something that is bigger or better than this paper clip? If you have something bigger or better than this paper clip, just make your way down to the front. Oh, Mr. Day. Your favorite pen. You realize this is a final transaction. 
Okay, my friends, I now have a pen. Any, can anyone here this morning give me something bigger or better than Bruce Day's favorite pen? Remember, it's his favorite pen. Yes. Richard. You need a pen. Ah, I have a package of Kleenex. <laughs> I'm not sure that this is better. It's bigger, but I'm not sure it's better. Anyone else? Let's see how far we could take this. Anyone? Oh, Diana, what do you got for me? It's a bag. Oh, fantastic. This is bigger than the Kleenex. My friends, you're doing so much better than I thought. Anyone else? Let's try this one more time. I have a bag. Does anybody have something bigger or better than this bag? Ah, okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. This is exciting. Okay, my friends, I have a banana. I have a banana. I'm not sure who brings a banana to church. I know things can get pretty dry up here, so, so I understand. Thank you so much for playing along. My friends, as we grow older, as we mature and gain wisdom, we often leave behind the games of our younger years in favor of new pursuits. Pursuits that even though on the surface look much different from the games that we play as children, in many ways they remain to be just that, games. But games with far more serious outcomes and consequences. Games that are often focused on ourselves, our independence, security, and games that become about comfort, power, politics, and prosperity. Games with clear winners and losers, and you do not have to look very far to see the way the games play out in the world in which we live, within governments, financial markets, people's lives, their relationships, and the lack of understanding about what the end game is all about. So the question this morning is, in the midst of a world that is so often caught up in the game of bigger and better, where can people place their hope? What are the things of true and lasting value that people can discover within the mission of Jesus? In so many ways, these very questions are at the heart of what Jesus is trying to enable his disciples answer, helping them to see beyond the games that were being played around them, games of comfort, of power, of politics, and prosperity, and the ways in which God was just about to change the playing field forever through Jesus. So as we dive back into Mark chapter 14, we are going to focus our time together on Jesus' disciple Peter and witness Peter's descent into denial, driven by his pride and ego and ultimately giving way to his own fear and shame instead of holding on and surrendering to the hope of Jesus. 
Mark 14, verses 27 to 31. You will all fall away, Jesus told them. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Throughout the gospel accounts, we see how Jesus over and over again is trying to teach, lead, and prepare the disciples for his ultimate crucifixion, death, and resurrection. As much as the disciples have done their best to try and listen and understand what Jesus is saying, nothing can prepare them for what is coming because God and in and through Jesus is about to significantly change the ways in which people are able to come to him, have their sin forgiven, have a personal and real relationship with him. My friends, Jesus is the ultimate and final game changer. And despite the limits of their current state of blindness, the disciples are about to have a front row seat to it all. Sinclair Ferguson says, Jesus saw in this situation what no one else had the eyes to see. Jesus saw in this situation what no one else had the eyes to see. Jesus saw that scripture was being fulfilled He knew that his disciples, his friends, would abandon him as they were overcome with fear. For scripture foretold that when God's shepherd was smitten, the sheep would be scattered. Now in the defense of the disciples, they are used to the old ways that things have been done. A faith that is turned into a legalistic religious game that the Pharisees and religious leaders had been playing for years without even realizing the disciples are caught up in it and cannot wrap their heads around anything different than the religious, the present religious order that the high priests, leading priests, elders, and teachers of the religious law are so bent on protecting. They were obsessed with holding on to their power, their control, and were so blinded by it, they didn't even realize not only that this power was not real, but in fact, the very real thing was standing right in front of them. The disciples do not yet fully recognize the scope of what the mission of Jesus truly is. And the closer they come to things unfolding around them, their response is one of denial with Peter's ego leading the charge and all of them falling into the trap of their own pride instead of heeding the words of Jesus, which all along have been pointing toward the hope that he indwells. R. Kent Hughes says, Peter found it easy to be self-dependent. 
No disciple speaks as often as Peter. No disciple was reprimanded like Peter was. And he is the only disciple who thought he could reprimand Jesus. He was impulsive. He was numero uno always. He had the great natural disadvantage of being the kind of person who always did it for himself somehow. When he became a follower of Jesus, he naturally carried that style into his service. He had the strength. He had the will. Whatever the cost, Peter would follow Jesus. When I read this insight from R. Kent Hughes, it just so reminded me of how often I rely upon my own pride, my own power, instead of submitting myself to the lordship of Jesus in my life where only true hope can be found. Peter envisions himself as this great leader, but the truth is he was the one that needed to be led. When our pride fails us, we can no longer back up what we think we know or control. Any hope we've placed in ourselves, we eventually come to realize is not all we thought it was, leaving us with nothing left to hold on to but our own fear. More often than I'd like to admit, I allow myself to be driven by my pride and my ego, which ultimately ends up giving way to my fear, driving my decisions and actions instead of the hope that I know is found in the ministry and mission of Jesus. You know, when I was younger, and because I already knew the outcome of the story, I was so hard on Peter. Like, seriously, Peter, how foolish are you? Why, just, why can't you just see what Jesus is really about? How self-centered can you be? But as an adult, I understand more and more the ever-present temptation to give in to my own fear through my ego and pride. And so now when I read this story, I not only see it as Peter's story, but I see it as my story. My friends, Peter's story is our story. As people who are so often living in denial, driven by pride and ego, and ultimately giving way to our fear, instead of holding on to the hope found in Jesus. R. Kent Hughes says, Jesus, on the other hand, from Peter, knew that even perfect humanity, apart from God the Father, cannot succeed. Therefore, he lived in profound dependence upon the Father and remained the rock. It was this awareness of human weakness and the necessity of moment-by-moment -moment dependence that Mark was urging on the church. God gives grace to those who renounce dependence on self and depend on him. Oh, my friends, I so know this to be true. I am not worthy of being able to depend upon myself. And it's like I have to learn this lesson over and over again. The only one that I can truly depend on is Jesus. You know, it says in Proverbs, 
3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Oh, lean not on your own understanding. It's so hard to do, especially when our pride and our ego drive us, when we think we have all the answers to all sorts of things. But then we find that we don't. We get caught, and we realize that we need to appeal to something that has more hope than we can ever possibly bring. It continues on. Peter's story continues on later in Mark 14 and says this, starting at 60, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were with that, that Nazarene, Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near to, said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you were talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. I so appreciated Pastor Cam's unpacking for us the verses in between these two sections that we are focused on this morning, specifically as Jesus is brought before the Sanhedrin and how Pastor Cam last week helped us to understand Jesus' response to them. Do you remember what Pastor Cam said about Jesus' response? Remember he said, Jesus didn't fight Jesus didn't run, Jesus didn't defend himself, and Jesus didn't lie. It's so interesting that while Jesus is undergoing his interrogation before the Sanhedrin, Peter is undergoing his own kind of interrogation as well, if you can even call it that. But in Peter's case, he ends up responding throughout the night in the exact opposite way that Jesus does. Where Jesus didn't fight, Peter did. Where Jesus didn't run, Peter did. Where Jesus didn't defend himself, Peter did. Where Jesus didn't lie, Peter did. Sinclair Ferguson says, this moving part of the Gospel of Mark is intended to teach us some important lessons. One of them is that our personal weakness needs only the little bit of pressure from temptation to bring us to our knees. There were some things admirable about the way people, Peter had followed Jesus, 
but there was also something so tragic about it. He still did not take seriously his master's searching analysis of his moral failures. The inquiries of a certain girl were enough to draw out from him the horrible realities of his own heart. He put himself first before his Lord. He would disown his Lord rather than deny himself. Our personal weakness needs only the least bit of pressure from temptation to bring us to our knees. Oh, my friends, Ferguson is hitting the nail right on the head this morning as he makes the connection between Peter's reality in this very moment in time as well as to our own. Every time I read this insight from Ferguson, it hits home for me. Again, I see my own story within Peter's story. And even though I did not do the same things that Peter did, there are so many other things that I have done that just as well have betrayed the call of Jesus in and through my life. And as I reflect on those ways that I've fallen short, shame is right there to greet me. It is important to note that even though Peter thought that he was the one who would die for Jesus, as it turned out, Jesus was the one to die for him. And I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't only die for Peter, but that Jesus also died for you and died for me. At a funeral last week, I heard the story about, a fam, about the family of the person who passed away, they had this very unique tradition in their family. Instead of sharing their New Year's resolutions with each other at the beginning of January, they chose to share their most embarrassing moment of the past year, and this tradition never failed to bring about some of the best stories they ever had as a family it instantly reminded me of my top embarrassing moment so far in 2023, and it involves my good friend, Pastor Steve. So Pastor Steve and I had this opportunity to take some training in Abbotsford, and so we flew to Abbotsford, and uh, it was a great deal, uh, but it was incumbent on the fact that we would not take any luggage, and so we had to stuff everything that we owned, or everything that we needed, including clothing and everything else, into a, into a backpack. Pastor Steve's backpack was bigger than mine, but nevertheless, uh, we go to Abbotsford, we have a great time, and on the last day that we're there, we decide to, or Pastor Steve decides he's going to come with me on a walk that he ended up turning into a hike when we went down this trail uh, in this ravine. And we're walking through this ravine, and it's beautiful, my friends. There was no snow. Um, it was raining a little bit, but that didn't matter. There was no snow. It was warm. It was like five degrees. And we're walking on this trail, and we come up to this sign uh, that lets us know that the trail ahead is closed. Uh, this doesn't seem to bother Pastor Steve at all. And so he proceeds, um, and, I, and I didn't want my pride to get in the way, so, so I follow Pastor Steve, and we're walking down this trail, and sure enough, we discover why the trail is closed, because there's this small creek that at one time 
during a flood in the spring, um, the bridge that uh, traversed this creek uh, was washed away. So there's no way for us to get across this very small creek. Pastor Steve decides this is not a problem. This is not a problem at all. And so he decides that he is going to traverse this creek by jumping over the creek. Uh, now, I'm not one to be outdone by Pastor Steve because once again, I'm not going to let my pride and my, I mean, if Pastor Steve can do it, I can do it. So Pastor Steve, he jumps across, not a problem at all. I proceed to take a little bit of a running start uh, to launch myself across this creek. And yes, I, I pass the water, but I land immediately on the bank, uh, which is very, very soft mud. And I end up, and remember, I only have a backpack. These are my only pair of pants. I end up like halfway uh, in this mud that goes halfway, half my, like just mud everywhere. My shoes are complete, my only pair of shoes. My shoes are in complete mud. My pants, like I am a muddy mess. Uh, there are nothing but thorns on the bank. And so when I, when I fell on the bank, uh, my hands are, hands are all cut up. My friends, by far, it is my most embarrassing moment of 2023. How am I going to get on the plane completely caked in mud? That's another story. <laughs> Pastor Steve later told me that, that he barely, he felt like he barely crossed the creek, uh, which would have been helpful for me to know because Pastor Steve's legs are, are longer than mine, but... The embarrassment of my bath in the mud comes nowhere close to the shame of the ways in which I've repeatedly, over the course of my life, betrayed the call of Jesus. One of the things that I've learned throughout my journey is that embarrassment and shame often have something in common, and that is the ways in which they bring fear out of us. A fear that has a capacity to keep us living in the worst case scenario we play out for ourselves in our own minds instead of right there in that moment submitting to the hope we can have and find in Jesus. In this account of Peter it says in Luke 22 it says has a little bit of a difference that Luke highlights. It says that about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I don't know about you, but in 61, where it says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, that gets me right in the heart. For me, the most beautiful part of Peter's story is what he does in the midst of his shame after he realizes the true scope and cost of what he's done. Yes, Peter did fight, he did run, he did defend, and he did lie, but Peter also wept, repented, and submitted 
And it is in his weeping we discover a turning point, the beginning of his way back and his rediscovery of the true hope of Jesus. Mark Strauss says, Through the episode, though the episode is a tragic one for Peter, it is not without hope. God is the God of second chances. While Judas's betrayal was permanent, Peter's denial is temporary. The requirement of the restoration is repentance and faith. Peter's remorse when the rooster crowed indicated the repentance that will eventually result in Peter no longer cowering from a servant girl's accusation. He later becomes the spirit-filled apostle of Jesus Christ, facing down the most powerful religious leaders in the country. My dear, dear friends, my hope and prayer for you today is that your denials will be temporary. And but by God's grace, you and I will have the wisdom and insight in those moments to let go of our pride and submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. If our pride and ego do get the better of us and give way to shame and fear, that we will renounce the bigger and better games of the world and embrace the true and only game changer that matters that we discover within Jesus. Once again, my friends, Jesus is the ultimate and the final game changer, the only one that helps us to understand once and for all that true life is not found in the things of the world, but found only in Jesus. In James chapter 4, it says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee to you. Flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, your sin, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You are double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will will lift you up. My friends, come near to God, and he will come near to you. David Platt worries. He says, the North American gospel is a message that prioritizes comfort, power, politics, and prosperity over and above the words of Jesus. The biblical gospel is a message that does the exact opposite, It exalts Jesus over and above comfort, power, politics, and prosperity. The biblical gospel transcends countries and cultures. It calls people to live for a higher purpose than preservation or even promotion of any one nation. God is calling us in North America to sacrifice in the same way, to believe that the reward of following Jesus wholeheartedly is far better than anything the world has to offer. My friends, do you believe this? That the reward of following Jesus is wholeheartedly far better than anything the world has to offer. My friends, if we believe this, we need to live this. We need to remember that this world is not our home. 
Our permanent address is not the street address you have in Winnipeg, but is located in heaven with God, where it says in John 14 that he is preparing a place for you. If you believe this to be true, why spend one moment longer playing bigger and better, especially when the better has already been found. What's so fascinating to me throughout the story of Peter is what is, is Peter and Jesus' interaction way before this even happens with Peter's denial when Jesus asks his disciples, but what about you in Matthew? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. My friends, if the story of Peter is our story, if the ways in which he denies Jesus are the ways that we too deny Jesus, then we can also experience the hope that Peter does and the ways in which Jesus continues to use him to promote the glory of his kingdom. Please bow with me as we pray together. Heavenly Father, we are, are so encouraged by your Holy Spirit this morning as we're reminded so powerfully that Peter's story is our story. Forgive us for the times that we're hard on Peter without, without recognizing that, that we are him. We are so grateful for your forgiveness. We are so grateful for the gift of Jesus. So we are so grateful that we do not have to play the games of bigger and better within the world, that our hope rests eternally with you. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for each of us here this morning, that you would empower us with your spirit so that we can live these truths out in our lives so we do not have to be afraid of the things around us that we can place and know that our hope is within you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening with us. For more information about our church or upcoming services and events, please visit us at grantmemorial.ca or on social media at at Grant Memorial Church. <laughs>